Isn't it good to be able to have something to sing about? We don't serve a God who is simply something that's fashioned by our own hands and our own image and our own likeness, but we serve a God who is altogether different than us and worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise this morning. So just beautiful singing and a great reminder of all that God is and what he has done for us. I'm going to invite you to take your Bible, if you will, and find your place in First Chronicles chapter 29, uh, sitting there or standing there like you, singing, and just thinking about how the message that we were singing about just really dovetails so wonderfully with what we're going to be looking at and, and uh, seeking to learn from the Word of God. It's talking about giving to the Lord, service to the Lord, this concept of stewardship. A lot of times, maybe most of the time, when we hear the word stewardship in the context of the church, we think of uh, dollars and cents. We think of money. We think of monetary things. And we're going to talk about that. But really, all of our life, as hopefully you see the very beginning of us looking at the word this morning, all of our life is to be a steward of what God has given to us, the very life we have and everything that he has entrusted to us, including our finances. But it's so much more than, than that. You know, when you uh, think about life, um, we know that it's sacred. Just this week, I was troubled, you know, and 48 years ago, I believe it is, that Roe versus Wade became, I guess, law in our land. And then since that time, um, 60 million or so babies have been murdered in the womb. And last week, we talked about the sanctity of life. And it is true that human life is sacred. Um, you just look at the creation of Adam and Eve. You look at all the things that took place there in the Garden of Eden, in the fashioning of humanity, and we see that we as humans have been created, uh, fashioned together in the image and the likeness of God. God called us there and told us there in Genesis chapter 1 to, to multiply, to feel, to subdue, have dominion over the earth. We see that Adam was to reflect the, the goodness of God, the glory of God, and reflect his sovereignty in his work as he exercised dominion over the earth. You know, what we see there in Genesis 1 and 2 that we looked at last Sunday is this idea of stewardship that mankind is to be the steward, the caretaker of God's creation. And I made this statement last week. As the image bearer of God, as those of us, all of us who are human beings made in the image and likeness of God, what other creature on the face of the earth could do what we've been called and created to do? No other creature has the creativity, the energy, or the authority to do such a thing as we have what we've been commanded to do. Command there to humanity in Genesis 1 is that they would feel, that they would steward the earth's resources. And so in this, God expects humans to develop a God-centered culture, a, a world that reflects Him, that we're to steward the environment and everything involved in that to bring honor and glory to His name. This concept of stewardship is all-encompassing. When you think about it, it's not just to one aspect of our creation, it's to all aspects. We're to see this stewardship played out in how we govern throughout humanity. We're to see it in how we steward the environment. We're to see it in our workplace. We're to see it in our home. And bless God, we're to see it even in the church. So why is it then, I'm thinking about this question this week, why is it that some 
quote-unquote Christians, when it comes to the idea of stewardship or a sermon on this subject or a teaching on this subject, we will many times neglect it. We will dismiss it. We'll amen the sermon on the sanctity of life, but when a sermon on stewardship comes along, some people would have the tendency to call that meddling. Now, pastor, you don't need to be dealing with that sort of issue in my life. Now you're just meddling in things that's not your business. Well, first of all, as a pastor and a preacher, I'm not meddling at all. I'm just a messenger boy. So if you want to get mad at anything that comes from this pulpit, if it's coming from the Word of God, don't throw stones at me, though I'll receive them. Throw stones at the Lord because I'm just simply trying to lift from the text and bring application to our lives from what God has said. And so what we see here from this first chapter of the Bible is that there is a close and clear connection between our creation and our stewardship. You think about this word steward. In the ancient world, a steward was a person who was given the responsibility and the authority to rule over the affairs of the household. You know the story. Uh, the story of Joseph, we just read it just a couple of weeks ago as you're reading through the Bible with us. Joseph was sold into slavery, went down into Egypt, and he became the steward for Potiphar. He became the one who managed the household affairs of this Egyptian rich, wealthy man named Potiphar. He was responsible for everything in the house, everything to do with the family. All of the finances were entrusted to Joseph. The New Testament, we see that it further expresses this idea of management. This term stewardship often is often used and translated by it's translated in a word that's called that's term is orkonomia. It's the English word, or we get our English word from economics and economy transliterated from this word. And so when you look at this term, orkonomia, it's a compound term made from two words, like many Greek terms. The word oikos, which is a word that simply means house or household. And then the other Greek term, nomos, which is the word that means law. And so literally this compound word means house law or law of the house. We translate from this term, our English term, stewardship. So the idea of stewardship is simply the governing of household affairs. So what we see in this is that stewardship and economics go hand in hand. They're closely related concepts in the New Testament. And so the role of the steward, as we look here, is not just something that's Old Testament. It's not just something that was New Testament. We could actually go back and see that it's more than that. It's a creation type concept. Steward's role derives itself from the principle of stewardship, which is rooted in the creation of mankind, found there in Genesis chapter 1, where God tells man, tells Adam to have dominion and to subdue and to multiply and to fill the earth. So fundamentally, stewardship is about exercising our God-given dominion over his creation, reflecting his great image in that creation by caring, being responsible, by maintaining, protecting, and bring beauty to his creation. Stewardship is about managing. It's about leveraging God's resources to bring him glory and to be a blessing to others just as God has commanded us. And so then what we see here in Scripture is that stewardship, it's an incredible privilege. It's an incredible uh, gift that God has given to us, that he's entrusted to us, that he would give us something special and 
allow us to manage that, allow us to steward that, allow us to take that and make it even more great, even more beautiful, all for the fame of his name. God has gifted us with such a responsibility, this responsibility of managing and tending to his creation. Stewardship is something we dare not neglect. It's something we should not ignore. It's not something we want to say, well, that's not really relative for today, or I don't want to hear a a message on that. I don't want to be responsible for that. It doesn't matter if you want to be or not. You're created in his image and likeness. Therefore, you are his steward in this creation. So as a father of Jesus, then, we should joyfully lean into this blessing of stewarding God's resources. You see, King David understood this high calling. And if you got your place there in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, let me kind of just set up what's going on here in this story. What we see in chapters 28 and 29 is David, prior to him coming to the end of his life, he's preparing the way for the mantle to be passed to his son. And he's sharing the plan that God has given him to construct a permanent temple. Now now Israel is no longer this nomadic people traveling through the wilderness, traveling through the countryside, moving from one place to the other, following flocks and herds. Now they they are a permanent people in a permanent land, and they have conquested, taken control of this land. So now there's no longer, uh, it's necessary to have a tabernacle because they're not moving. They need a permanent dwelling for the presence of God. He begins to charge his son Solomon with the responsibility of the construction of this temple. He also shares how he and the leaders, as well as the kingdom, have already lavishly provided the resources, giving of their treasure to this great work. A couple years ago, in October of 2018, I preached from this passage. I preached the first 17 verses of chapter 29, and we were in the middle of our New Day Capital Campaign, a four-week series, I believe, and I preached a message simply entitled, Freely Giving, because that's what you see in this passage, is the people of God freely giving to the Lord, above and beyond the regular tithe, giving this offering to the Lord. And so I would encourage you, if you were not here, many of you weren't, many of you have come into our church family since then. But I would encourage you, whether you are here or not, go back, listen to that sermon, read that sermon. It's on our webpage. Refresh yourself. It's a beautiful story in all of its entirety. But I want to point out some stuff this morning as we look at this and how it applies to us in this idea of stewardship. And so David here expresses all that he's done, all that the kingdom has given, all that the leaders have given. And I shared with you two years ago the figures in the modern day uh, calculations. David tells us the talents. You can calculate the weight from that. And from that, you can, uh, you can determine the amount of money in today's standard, what that would be in U.S. dollars. And so two years ago, back in October of 2018, the leaders... David himself, the king, and the kingdom donated to this work of gold $155.6 billion to the construction of the temple. They gave of silver $17.7 billion to the construction of the temple. And so what they did in totality, just gold and silver, not including precious stones and all of the other things that went into it, they gave $173.4 billion. Now I looked at the, just the, uh, the number the other day of what the difference in gold prices were. Gold today is over $400 more per ounce than it was just 
uh, 27 months ago, 28 months ago. And so gold prices have increased 32%. So that number is probably upwards of $200 billion given to the work of the temple. The next time you talk about a building project we're doing being expensive, we ain't there yet. No, there's something to be said about being responsible in all facets of life. But it's interesting that, and I think it's noteworthy, that the Bible includes the number of gifts, what the amount of the gifts were. You see, what we see in that is that not everyone gave the same amount. Many times when we go into stewardship, when we talk about this idea, or we talk about giving to the church, the idea is that you have to give equal. That's nowhere in the Bible outside of the tithe. Everyone gives the same amount in the tithe. But when it comes to free will offerings, you are to give as God impresses upon your heart and according to your means. And so we see here, David gave a certain amount, the kingdom gave a certain amount, and the leaders gave a certain amount. Not everyone gave the same amount. It was not equal giving, but it was, I believe, equal sacrifice. You see, as we, as we see the, the glory of God and we see the goodness of God and we experience the, the greatness of God in our life, we want to give back in response to that. So it not, will not be equal giving, but it ought to be equal sacrifice. The Bible tells us that they gave willingly The Bible tells us here that they gave sacrificially. The Bible tells us here that they gave out of a great sense of excitement and a great sense of expectation. So going back to that question of why some Christians do not want to hear a sermon or some sort of teaching on biblical stewardship, could it be that they fail to understand a great truth that King David understood? See, David here expresses a clear theology of stewardship. That's what I want to talk about this morning of Why is it that we give? Why is it that we're to give back to the Lord and use what the Lord's given us for his glory and for for the good of others? I believe believers should use the resources given them to be a blessing and to be a benefit to others, not because some man or woman instructs them to do so. You should never give because somebody stands behind a desk like this, or you read a book that just says, you need to do this. We ought to give because the Bible tells us, and because we've caught a glimpse of the glory and the greatness of God, therefore we steward his resources accordingly. So let's look at the Bible. First Chronicles chapter 29. Let's read verses 10 through 17. Then I want to share two things about this theology of stewardship and bring some application I think the outline's there on your handout this morning. Verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? What is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and it's all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. 
In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. Now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously you. Such a beautiful story there of David standing before the Lord, enamored with his goodness, overwhelmed by his grace, overwhelmed by how God has protected him and established him and and furthered his kingdom, lived out the the blessings and the promises that God had made to him. The passage provides a beautifully clear theology of stewardship. You see, it shares, I believe, the why of giving, the reason behind our service and desire to bless others. I mean, why is it that we want to be a blessing to other people? It's because God has been a blessing to us. God has given us so much. And so I wanted to share with you quickly two major points in this theology of stewardship. The first thing being this, we see here this idea of divine possession, divine possession. See, the Bible's approach to gold, silver, money, mutual funds, land, uh, bank accounts, talent, strength, or all the rest that we could think of, the, the Bible's approach to that is that God is the giver and God is the owner of all things. All that you have is a gift from the Lord. And we're not just talking nickels and dimes here. We're not just talking dollar bills here. We're talking everything that you have. The very breath that you have in your lungs today is a gift from God. As the psalmist declares, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. See this truth expressed four different times in the verses that we just read. Verse 11, verse 12, verse 14, and verse 16 all express this sentiment that God is the one who has given to David. God is the one who has given to Israel. God is the one who gives to you and I all that we have. You see, God divinely possesses all things, and he entrusts those things to you and I. He entrusts us with what he has. He gives you your daily bread. He gives you the ability to produce wealth. He gives you talents and skills. All that you have comes from his hand. Even the construction of the temple itself, the construction of the tabernacle uh, centuries earlier, you read there in the Bible that God indwelt these men or gave to these men these skills to do these certain things. Those who would cut the stone, those who would mold the golden images and the figurines, those who would take the the, the tapestries and and take the animal skins and make these coverings and and veils and all of the things that were needed for these two magnificent uh, edifices. God entrusted these men and women with the skills, the talents, the, the wealth to make it happen. Brings us to a second point. Not only divine possession do we see in this stewardship, we see human administration. Human administration. Again, when we think about stewardship, it is simply the exercising of our God-given dominion over his creation, reflecting his glory, reflecting his image as the creator uh, God in his care, reflecting responsibility, maintaining all that he has, managing and leveraging those resources for God's glory and for the blessing and benefit of other people, doing all of that just as God has commanded us to do. You see, one of the greatest joys of the Christian life is the opportunity to take what God has given you, what is entrusted to you, and just simply give that back in service and in blessing to other people. 
how we expand his kingdom. It's how we bring praise and honor to his name. See, all that we have is God's anyway. He simply has entrusted us with his wealth, with his power, with his skill, and we use that to bring beauty to his creation. I think this is why the Israelites and King David rejoiced over this privilege here in verses 16 and 17. The, the, the privilege of being able to use the resources to construct this beautiful building to the honor and praise of God's name. Today, we steward God's resources. Think about it as we tithe. <clears throat> That's how we steward his resources. We steward it as we give free will offerings. You know, an IMB, the, the IMB, Lottie Moon Christmas offering we just took. And so that's a free will offering. We take God's resources and, and we allocate them as God directs us to be a blessing and benefit to others. We steward them as we use our spiritual gifts to serve in the church, as we serve people in the community. All of that is a stewarding of God's great wealth. Steward as we work unto the Lord. Every day that you get up and you go to your job, how are you to work? As unto the Lord. Not begrudgingly, not there kicking the dirt, thinking, I hate this place. I hate these people I work with. I can't stand this. I want to go somewhere else. No, put your nose to the grindstone and go to work as unto the Lord. Why? Because you're a steward. God's given you that job. It really doesn't matter if you like the job or not. I can't get any amens. It doesn't really matter. That job is the gift of God. Helps pay the bills. Helps put food on the table. Helps give you benefits and insurance and various things that you would get from that job. Those are all blessings and gifts from the Lord. And so do your work as unto the Lord. It could be that you're in a horrible job and it's a hard job and it's not a fun job. It's not a rewarding job. But because you're doing it faithfully and because you're doing it joyfully, not happy. I said joyfully is a big difference. Someone else who's also miserable sees you working as unto the Lord and like, something about, oh, what's, what is it about Joe? Joe, I need to know, why are you so happy? Why do you seem to be so pleasant when the things that we're doing here and who we're working with and management or whoever's the problem, they're so coming down on us. Joe, how is it that you're different than me? I need what you have. That's stewarding the gift that God's given you and using it, leveraging it so that others can be drawn to the God that you love and the God that you serve. Steward these resources as we work unto the Lord. We steward them as we meet the needs of others among our neighbors, within our neighborhoods, within our communities. We serve people. We steward these resources as we lead out in this culture to make a difference for the glory of God. I mean, as Christians, we're not to live under a rock. We're to make a difference. We're to be salt and light. You don't, Jesus said in Matthew 8, you don't take the light and, and the lampstand and you put a basket on it. No, you, you take the basket off and you allow the light to shine in the darkness. That's what we're to do. Stewarding what God's given us. Not always talking about dollars and cents. Stewardship is all about everything in our life. We see here, God divinely possesses all things. And he entrusts us, he entrusts to us the administration of those things. Unfortunately, this concept of stewardship is all too often hijacked in Christian circles. It's taught and expressed in ways that are far beyond or far away from the Bible's teaching and understanding of stewardship. So I want to give you just four specific truths, kind of fine-tune what we need to be thinking about this morning in regards to stewardship. Four truths. 
Truth number one would be this. When we give, we give as an act of worship. Think about it. When you give, when you take what God has given to you and you give that in service to others. So when you put a dollar in the offering plate that goes to, to, to make disciples here and there, when you give a dollar to missions, when you take your spiritual giftedness and, and you serve in the church or you serve in the community or you're feeding the hunger, whatever you're doing with the gifts and resources you have, you do that as an act of worship. You don't do it under compulsion. You don't do it because somebody's prodded you to do it. You do it because you want to worship the Lord. So when we think about worship, the best way to understand worship is the, the, the thought or the idea of worship. That God is worthy of your service. That God is worthy of your best. You see, as David prays here with the people, what is he doing? He's declaring the greatness. He's declaring the power. He's declaring the glory of God. They were in verses 11 and 12. You see, he and the people willingly desire to give to this great work, first and foremost, not because the king called him to it, not because the king wanted to make a name for himself. He didn't want a, a temple named after him or named after his son or named after the kingdom. No, these people and the king saw the greatness of God and they say, I must give my best the glory of God. It's my worship to him. Why? Because God is worthy of it. God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our best. So you fast forward a few hundred years, and you come to the days of Malachi the prophet, and there in Malachi, we see that the Jews at this point, after the exile, have failed to give the Lord their very best. Said what they're doing is offering to the Lord leftover. Blind, three-legged lambs, sick animals, and Malachi comes to them in rebuking to the people, and he says, why don't you offer that garbage? This is the James Taylor version. Why don't you offer that garbage to your governor and see what he thinks about it? That's how they were treating the Lord. You say, well, man, those people shouldn't have done that. Why do we do it in a different way today? When we give to the Lord, not out of worship, but we give from some other standpoint that's really self-centered and self-serving. This leads us to a second truth. Not only do we give as an act of worship, secondly, we give our first and we give our best. See, all throughout the Bible, we discover that God-honoring stewardship is always our first and our best. The, the first symbolizes the best. The Jews here regrettably failed. As I just said, they failed to do this. They're giving the Lord their leftovers. They're giving the Lord these other things. And so Malachi rebuked them for this. How does that kind of giving reflect the, the worship of God? How, do, how does that sort of giving reflect the, the honor and the majesty due to his name. The truth is, it doesn't. Instead, what it proclaims is that God is not worthy of my best. At best, he's nothing more than a serf that I'm just throwing crumbs at. But he's not the Lord of heaven. Church, we must never forget that God is worthy. And on the contrary, it's you and I who are not worthy. I think that's why David and the people here are so overwhelmed that they would be considered worthy to give to this work. Worthy to build something to the honor and the glory of God. we got to remember in that culture, the temple that the, the peoples would have, they would build it to the honor of their God. And so Israel wants to build something to say, the God of Israel, he is God. The God of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Termites, all these people, their gods were nothing. But the God of Israel, he was 
That's why they're saying, man, I can't believe, God, you've allowed us to do this, that you've counted us worthy. It is a privilege to give. We give our first, we give our best, all to the glory of God. So God graciously entrusts us his possession. We steward, and when we give, we do so by offering our first and our best. Why? Because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. The third truth, we do not give in order to get. We do not give in order to get. You see, one of the great heresies of our day teaches that if you will give, then you will get. Many times preachers will, will, will pray on this sentiment, pray on this idea. They'll say, hey, if you will sow a seed, hey, you're going to reap a harvest. If you give 10% to the Lord, then they will tell you that you're going to reap 30, 60, and 100 fold. And yes, the Bible does tell us that when we give, he honors us. That when we give, he gives back. We can never outgive the Lord. But the problem with that sentiment is this. We never should give from a selfish, self-centered position that we're doing something so we can get more. We give because it's an honor to God. It's wor- He's worthy of our gift, so we give our first and our best. And if we get nothing back in return, we count it a privilege to be able to give to the Lord. Why? Because he's worthy of it. Why we don't give our leftovers to God? We give him the best part. You know, when I'm out to a restaurant, and I'm a steak guy. I know some of you like chicken, and I like chicken too, but I'm not going to spend $30 for chicken. That at home, right? I'll get a salmon or something like that for 30 or 50 or whatever dollars. I like fish and steak. But if one of my kids, and I love my kids dearly, but if they come up and say, Dad, I'd like to have a steak, I'm going to give them a steak, but I'm not giving them the whole thing. Unless they've had a bad day or lost a tooth or something, then I give them ice cream. Now, I'm not going to give them the whole thing. I'm not going to give them the best piece. Why? That's for me. Many times, now you know your pastor is selfish. That's the point I'm making here. Many times we bring that same sort of sentiment to our offering, to our service, to our work in the church. If I got enough time, I'll try to work it in. If there's enough room in my budget, maybe I'll throw some dollars at whatever. Even some of us who serve in various capacities, we will blow our whole week doing things that probably don't matter when it comes to eternity, and knowing that Sunday's coming. Everybody knows Sunday's coming, right? If you're a small group leader, you know Sunday's coming. You've got to be preparing. You've got to be teaching uh, for me, teaching, preaching multiple times a week. It's always coming. You've always got to be working on something. And so how do you do that? How do you serve and do your very best and your gift back to the Lord? You prepare for it. You, you take the time. You set aside time so that you can give your best to the Lord. And so even in our service as small group leaders, how many times have we been guilty of waiting to Saturday night, hopefully not Sunday, cramming it in? We've all done it. We shouldn't do it. Give her a best. See, our goal is to steward what God has entrusted us in a way that is obedient to God's word, honoring to his great name, and a blessing to other. We should steward selflessly rather than selfish. There's a fourth truth. We give gratefully and we give joyfully. David and those in Israel rejoiced over having this privilege as we've seen here, verses 13 and 14. They're in awe over the fact that God would 
allow them, give them the resources to be able to participate in this way. Verse 17, we see that they're giving joyously. David is standing back and saying, God, not only am I in just all that I can give joyously and, and, and sacrificially this, but as a leader, God, it gives me great joy to watch my people do the same thing. He's in all of this. And so for us as Christians, this should also be true of our life. We should give, we should serve, we should leverage what God has given us and do so gratefully and do so joyfully. What we discover both here in the Bible and throughout all of history is that the people most joyful, the people who are most pleasant in life are usually those who are givers. Those who would serve other people, those who are grateful, those who are generous, those are the people you want to be around. You've seen It's a Wonderful Life. What was Mr. Potter like? Cantankerous, crusty. He was so tight, he weak. He wasn't a giver. No one wanted to be around Mr. Potter. Selfish and ungrateful people typically are mean and repulsive. God's people ought to never be like that. Instead, we should be grateful and generous. We should model that in society. Therefore, that we should also be full of joy and we should be a delight to other people. Why? Because we understand that all that we have is not ours. It's God. And we're just the steward of it. Think about your own children. They're not yours. They're God. He's entrusted you with the stewardship of raising those children so that they could be all that God wants them, so that they could hear the gospel, come into relationship with him, that they would grow in their faith, that they would reflect him in how they live and what they do with their lives so that they could bring glory and honor to the Lord. They're not your kids. They're his kids. I've heard families over the years when the idea of missions or their kids sensing a call of God to go overseas, I've literally seen families in the Christian church do everything they can to discourage that calling upon their life. And we never do that. See, the best place a person could be, your kids and you, is in the will of God for their life. That may be in the most difficult place on the face of the earth. It may be in, in an area of great danger, possible martyrdom. What a way to go out. You see, there's a chapter in the Bible of Scripture in the book of Hebrews that we love to read, right? Hall of Faith. You read that, you get to the end of that Hall of Faith there, and it talks about people not even naming their names. They're saying some were sawed in two, some were hanged, some were boiled, some were they experienced gruesome deaths. We read that and we say, to the glory of God that these people would serve and give their life for that. But when it comes to what we have and what we hold dear, we sometimes will push back on that and say, it's not my child, God, that you're calling, or it's not me that you're calling. You're calling someone else. That's not true. It may be your child. We want to be, make sure that we hold them loosely and allow God to do what he wants to do. So how do we develop this theology of stewardship in our own lives. Let me give you three quick helps. Number one, honor God first with a tithe. Three points, it's not exhaustive, so simple three helps. Start by honoring God first with the tithe. I'm not going to, nor do I have time to go into the argument for the tithe in the New Covenant era. I believe that, that I'm just going to make a statement. I believe the tithe did not cease 
with the passing of the Old Covenant. I, Jesus never negated it. Jesus never spoke against it. If anything, it's entry-level giving from my perspective, and I think I've got a good perspective, a good hold on Scripture. I think it's entry-level, and God begins to develop our generosity as, as born-again believers who've experienced so much more than the Jew ever experienced from the faith. So we honor God first with the tithe. Stewardship then is fairly simple. The word of God is clear. A tithe is a 10%. That's what the Bible describes it. It's always taken and given before anything else. We should give to God the first. Why? Because it represents our best. Giving the first means that the tithe needs to be first on our budget sheet. It's not, Lord, if I've got enough left over at the end of the month, I'll squeeze you in. You don't do that with your rent. You don't do that with gas. You don't do that with food. Why would you do it with the one person who literally holds the breath you breathe in his I'm not saying that to scare you this morning. I just want you to understand the seriousness of what you're doing. God, you're not important enough to me to put you above my own sustenance. Well, you ought to because he holds your life in his More than that, and he's been so good to you, so faithful. He's given to you so much. How could we not trust him with everything in our lives? So we give to him first. Needs to be first on our budget sheet. We give to the Lord through the local church. Why? Because that's the place of worship. That's where the work of God takes place. And so we're going to do that before the mortgage, before the rent, before groceries, before the electric bill, before gas, before you go on vacation. We're going to give the Lord first. We're going to give the Lord best. And some people would say, well, pastor, I can't afford the tithe. My response has always been, I don't know how you can afford not to tithe. That's, again, not to go back to that heresy that I mentioned earlier. It's not to give so you can get. It's to give because I want to live my life in honor of who God is. Therefore, I want to honor him with my first and with my best. It represents all that I am. So I dare not follow the Lord's instruction. You're never going to go wrong by obeying and honoring God's word. I mean, Malachi tells us in Malachi 3.10, put me to the test in this. Again, it's not about giving to get. It's about giving to honor the Lord and then just setting back and trusting him. I tell people all the time when we talk finances, I will tell them the story that in, there's been multiple churches where Karen and I have made a move from one setting to the next. And on paper, it makes no financial sense whatsoever. In the red, when we moved here from Alabama, it was financially somewhat of a lateral move, but not entirely. There was a deficit on the books every single month, but I can tell you with complete confidence that every single month there has been a sustenance. There's been an abundance. And we don't give to get. I'm just trying to make you understand that God meets the needs of his people. He doesn't promise incredible wealth. He does promise to take care of his people. Number two, work to be debt-free. See, a lot of us, we'd have a ton of money if we just stopped buying stuff on credit. Many people in America today have believed the lie that debt is acceptable and even beneficial. Here's the truth. Never. Proverbs 22.7 is still true. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. And so think about what is it you could do in your life that you're not able to do now if you didn't have debt. I told somebody this week, I think it was this week, sometime recently, that I would feel just filthy rich if I didn't have a mortgage. 
I mean, think about what I'm giving a month. I, I long for the day I don't have to pay the mortgage anymore, right? I'll be old when that happens. But I long for that day. What if we didn't have death? What if we were working ourselves out of that? What if we were doing everything possible to get past that in our lives? How much more could you give? How much more could you be a blessing? How much more could you do for others if you didn't live enslaved to the lender? Think about debt. Debt's not forbidden in the Bible. Sometimes, there's a, well, there's not a lot. There's a few things that I wish God would have just said, wrong, don't do it. But he doesn't do that on certain things, right? Nowhere in Scripture have I seen that debt is wrong, sinful in other words. It, there is grave warning about it, though. So we don't want to live our lives in debt. We don't want this to be the lifestyle that we live, constantly living for what we can buy on credit, trying to keep up with people we don't like and who don't care about us, but we're for some reason trying to, to, to live up to their standard, and they're in the same boat you're in, just in debt up to their eyeballs. So how do we do that? we got to work a plan. It's going to require a budget. It means everything, every dollar you make needs to be on paper on purpose, as Dave Ramsey would say. Intentionally working to free yourself up from the creditor. It's going to require you to say no to some things today so that you can say yes to some things tomorrow. Work to be debt-free. Number three, develop a discipline of generosity. Our God giver, right? We want to be like our God, right? We want to be like Jesus. We want to exemplify his love, his grace, his goodness, his faithfulness, all of his characteristics. One of the preeminent characteristics of God is his giving. For God so loved the world, he He's a giver. People, as his people, we should reflect that same generosity. And so when we think about generosity, it's like any other discipline. It's not just going to develop on its own. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take you working on developing this generosity. Uh, maybe that's you just thinking, Lord, this is a deficit in my life. This is something I struggle with. I don't typically see the needs of the others. And then when I do see them, I don't know what to do. Or sometimes I don't even want to do anything because I just want to want to hold on to what I've got. God, help me with that. So maybe it begins with prayer. Maybe it begins with you identifying it, praying through it, developing a budget in your life so that you know where your money's going, that you can allocate these, th this intention in your life. I've heard of families in our church that they've gotten their finances under control and they're working the plan out. And so they're at a place in their financial situation where they can build in these line items for, for, for just blessing other people, right? Seeing a need in someone's life, having the resources there because you've planned for it to meet that need. So it's going to require you praying, being on a budget, opening your eyes to the needs of people around you, and then having the compassion, empathize with them. Christ followers, why do we give? We give because God has first given. He owns all things, and we're simply the stewards of those things. So as we lead, as we serve, as we cultivate God's creation, we offer our worship to the Lord. We use the things he's entrusted to us to bless and to better other people, all because God is worthy. Not to make a name for ourselves. It's to make his name famous. So we hold our possessions. We hold our talents. 
We hold our wealth loosely. We live, so to speak, with palms up, not with clenched fists, but with palms up, knowing that what's in our hands is not ours. It's God. We just simply use it for his glory as he directs. He's entrusted to us stewardship. Is that how you live your life? Could it be said of you this morning that you're a steward of God's resources? Is this your understanding of stewardship? Do you give to the Lord your first? Do you give to Him the best? Do you give above and beyond the tithe, gratefully and joyfully, as the Lord directs, not under compulsion, not to keep up with someone else, not to be recognized, but just simply because you love the Lord, you love people, and you're just open to how He moves in your life? Is that you? Do you live within your means so that you can leverage your resources for kingdom purposes? Many times... I'm not picking, of course, I'm not, I'm, I don't even have names in my mind to pick on anybody, so don't worry about that. But a lot of times people will, when we're trying to you know, throw a mission trip opportunity out there, and we say, you know, it's going to be $2,500 to go to South Asia, and someone will be like, man, that's so expensive, I don't know if I can handle that. Two things that always come to my mind, sometimes I say them, not always. Two things that would come to my mind. I've never known a person, God's called to go overseas, that he didn't provide the resource. It, it happens all the time. Second, the thought that, I don't usually say this, but it's a thought that's in my head. You could go if you had a plan, right? If you just had the, the mentality that I am building my financial life in such a way that I am allocating resources to God's work around the world, giving to mission offerings, but also having a little nest egg so my family and I can engage the, the nation. Or I can give to someone who else is, is going. So we want to think through all of that. We want to leverage his resources for the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to just real quickly say a couple things about this, how it ties into us, and then we'll finish up. This morning, as your pastor, I want to exhort you to honor the Lord with a tithe. I don't know and will never know what anyone gets in the church. Not my responsibility there. I ask questions uh, in, in regard to what people give, and it's never a number, but I will say, all right, we're considering so-and-so for a position. Is there a track record of giving their family? That's all I ask. I just want to see, they're going to come back and say, there is a pattern of giving. They've given X amount of times this year. They don't ever give me a dollar amount. Oftentimes, they don't even say he gave five times. It's just real generic. I just want to see a pattern there to see if it's somewhat trustworthy. If, 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 can this guy be trusted with the resources of the Lord? And we can know somewhat of that because he's given back to the things of God through the local church. So I don't know what anyone gives, but I want to encourage you, all of us, to honor the Lord with a tithe. I personally believe, biblically conviction, that it should be given through the local church. I want to encourage you also to not only give the tithe, but if you're able to prayerfully consider pledging and giving above and beyond to our New Day Capital campaign. You know, we're over two years into this, and thankfully we're going to be in our new building in uh, about six, seven weeks, which is going to allow us to start renovating this main floor. It's going to be awesome. Hopefully in our members meeting in February, we're going to be able to give you a new look at what the rendering is going to look like for this room. We've changed some of the colors and different things like that. Not a major drastic just cosmetic stuff. It's going to look great. You're going to be overwhelmed by it. And since we started this campaign, many people have come into the life of our church. You're a member or you're regularly attending. And I want to encourage you, if that's the case, if you've not committed, if you've not 
I felt the Lord call you to give to this. Consider giving to New Day. Make a pledge and begin to give. I beg all of you to live within your means. Live within your means. Get on a budget. Stop living on credit. Say, man, I don't know where to even begin with that. We've got great people in our church who this is their ministry, who want to come alongside of you and help you develop financial disciplines. We offer Financial Peace University once or twice a year. I would encourage you, I mean deeply encourage you, the next time that's offered, that you take it. Say, I don't know if I can afford to take it. Don't let the cost of the material deter you from coming. Many times people will say, this has been a blessing to me. I want to give, I want to scholarship someone who has a need, can't afford this because I know it's going to bless them. So don't let that deter you. But if you have the means, you can pay for your own material. We want to be giver. Well, because God is. We do not give to get. We give simply because we've been given the greatest gift, his name. God gave you your life. It means he loves you. It means you're created just as you are, and he desires to know you. That's the good news. Bad news is, is that uh, you're a sinner and you're corrupt and you're a hater of God and you're in rebellion against him and your sin has separated you from him and you're doing everything you're, in your power and ability to, to fix the brokenness there and, and you're just making yourself more and more of a mess. Many of us who know Jesus, all of us who know Jesus this morning, that's who we were before we met Jesus, right? We're a mess, we're broken, we're trying to fix that in all different ways, but the best news is that we found Jesus and he put the broken pieces back in. This morning, as we talk about being a giver, we need to just recognize that God is. And this morning, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you need to be a receiver, receiving life in Jesus. So we're going to have a time of response. If that's you, I want you to come forward. If you're watching this online, respond. Let us know how we can pray for you, how we can encourage you, how can we can follow up with you this week about what God wants to do in your life. For us believers, let's honor God with what he's